Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies. I am one of your hosts, Garrett. And I am Carson, another of the hosts. And we are dipping into rare territory here. We uh, we are not usually ones for the horror genre, but June left a little bit uh, slim menu choices. So here we are. We're talking a horror movie. Yeah, The Black Phone. I will say, Black Phone, I feel like I've been hearing about this movie for about two years. Um, I was talking to my son about it because he went with us to see it, and he thinks that perhaps we maybe saw a trailer for it when we saw the press screening of Candyman. But I don't, I don't know if that's entirely right. It's only because press screenings usually don't have um, trailers. Trailers. But I will say I don't think he's far off on the timing of all that because I remember seeing the poster and hearing about the concept a long time ago. And then it seemed like it took a while to get the trailer out, and it seemed like it took a little while even more from that to get the movie out. So it's one of those that uh, I, I have. Uh, I feel like I've ridden a little bit of a roller coaster on. So I, I saw the trailer. Sorry, I saw the poster and I s- read the description. I was like, oh man, okay, I can get behind this. This sounds kind of cool. And then I saw the first trailer and I was like, mm, I don't know. It feels like it didn't quite, I don't know what I was expecting, but it just had that feeling of like, I'm not sure this lives up to what I had cooked up in my head. Um, so then I, I feel like I was kind of on maybe like a down slope heading into this movie expectations wise. Expectations wise, I had very low, ex- I guess not necessarily low expectations, but more more closer to no expectations. I, I've seen sure. the the a partial trailer i never even saw the whole trailer and just more of saw ethan hawk in his character mm-hmm. and i'm like okay creepy ethan hawk let's see what he does and i hear and i saw some reviews praising his performance and and i knew nothing else so mm-hmm. that that's how i i went into it of i hope it's good we're talking around on the pod can we uh hopefully have something to talk about that's <laughs> that, that was my hope uh, hopefully it's good enough to to where we can pull some some good news out of it. Yeah, I, I think it's got some stuff to talk about. Um, let me uh, let me hit with the blurb and everything because there's a kind of an interesting tie-in here on the blurbs and stuff. But we got uh, Finney Shaw, a shy but clever 13-year-old boy, is abducted by a sadistic killer and trapped in a soundproof basement where screaming is of little use. When a disconnected phone on the wall begins to ring, Finney discovers that he can hear the voices of the killer's previous victims, and they are dead set on making sure that what happened to them does not happen to Finney. Direct... Oh, you got something? Well, I mean, I was... I'll let you finish. Okay. Let your blurb. Let you roll. Okay. Well, it's directed by Scott Derrickson, which this is where the connection comes in, who directed Doctor Strange 1. And started down the path of Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, but then left for the always popular creative differences, which <laughs> is a very interesting thing to think about. So let me let me get through this really quick, then we'll hit your topic, and then we'll come back to, to good old Scotty D. But he also directed uh, Sinister, Exorcism of Emily Rose, and The Day the Earth Stood Still, cast Ethan Hawke, Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davies, and James Ranson. All right, let's hit, let's hit your point, and then we'll circle back around. 
Well, that that description, uh, so that allows for anything in that to be non-spoiler. But what you read leads to very much a an exit room of kids trapped in a room. They figure out how to get out, and a phone rings and gives them hints how to get out. You know, like I feel like that's that's essentially what an exit room is. Yeah, and, I mean that's that's kind of how. It, yeah, yeah, and coincidentally. They are our uh, sponsor for this episode, the Exit Room and Lee Summit. Hey guys, as we all start to return to normal after two years of absolute craziness, I've got an idea for something a little different for you to do with your friends and family. Something that gets you out of the house, interacting with actual human beings, and back into the world. We're proud to introduce you to the Exit Room. Go check out this incredible escape room business located in historic downtown Lee Summit, Missouri. The Exit Room is a family-owned, five-star rated, one-of-a-kind escape room experience that has been entertaining the Casey metro area for nearly seven years now. They have five uniquely designed escape room adventures guaranteed to challenge, amuse, and even amaze you. Gather your party and come check out their friendly staff, their amazing decor, and contagious energy as you solve puzzles, riddles, and unravel mysteries. But hurry, the exit room is retiring two of their rooms very soon and replacing them with new adventures. Use promo code 2VIEWS at checkout for a 20% discount. That's the numeral 2 and the word VIEW, no spaces. The exit room. Unplug, interact, escape. So they can actually build a black phone room if they wanted to. You know, and basically put this this movie in there with creepy Ethan Hawke busting in. You could, but the only challenge would be it kind of defeats the purpose of the exit room because the phone call is giving you the explicit steps of what you need to do. Instead well, that's of the clues, yourself. right? You can request the clues. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so thank you, Exit Room, for being our sponsor this month. All right. Um, so where I was going to go with Scott Derrickson is... I think it's interesting that he somehow stumbled across creative differences with Multiverse of Madness when they brought in Raimi and they definitely were trying to go horror-ish. I mean, if anything, you could say that Multiverse of Madness feels more like it would be a Derrickson opportunity than the first Doctor Strange, which had zero horror elements. So I, I would be very interested to read some articles on what exactly happened with him and Marvel. So he directed, you said Sinister, which I yes. think also with Ethan Hawke, which I mm-hmm. think is the, one of the scariest movies I've seen and mm-hmm. creepy. And the last 10 minutes kind of leaves you, <clears throat> it's not as, as scary. It's kind of kind of dumb at the end. But I, I love that movie. And it's it's very creepy, very scary. So my only thought is that Doctor Strange, uh, he was trying to go too scary and too creepy. And Sam Raimi brings a stupid horror to it which we've talked about it at nauseam in the Doctor Strange pod that we did. Um, and so maybe that's the difference of, yes, they wanted a horror vibe, but not as horror as he wanted to go. So that that's kind of where my guess is. So you think it was just a hedge, right? They they knew Raimi had done horror. They knew Raimi had done comics. But I guess you could say the same for Derrickson, right? Like he had done horror, he had done comics, but they just must have preferred the Raimi flavor. Maybe he wanted to go darker, which I think going back to our Multiverse of Madness episode, I think I was in the camp of like pick a tone and let's go with it, guys. Um, So I kind of wish that maybe they had brought in Derrickson and just 
gone a little darker and stuck with it a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. I think that's for sure the way they should have gone because mm-hmm. neither you nor I are that big of Raimi fans. Um, used to be, not anymore. Um, but like you said, his tone is always all over the place. You look outside of Evil Dead, you go to Evil Dead 2, and it's like, is this a comedy? Is this mm-hmm. horror? And then it gets, you know, obviously Army of Darkness is straight comedy with horror elements in it. You know, and they just get silly with it. And so yeah. he, he doesn't stay with the same theme. He he mixes in his stupidness in, in there. And that's where I think he's lacking. And I think maybe that's what Disney liked about it is he knew that they was going to throw some lighthearted sure. stuff to make it not as scary. Yeah. So perhaps that was a creative difference. And I would have liked to have seen his Doctor Strange. I would have too, especially in hindsight. So... Uh, you mentioned Sinister. I think I watched it for the first time maybe this year, um, and I thought it was good. I I don't know. I, I just kind of – it seems hard for horror movies to move the needle for me anymore. I, I just don't know. I, we've talked about this before. I don't know if I've seen too many movies. I try to predict too much stuff, or I just feel like I've seen kind of every scare that there is to have, and it takes a lot now to move that needle. But correct me if I'm wrong, but Sinister is the one with the old – the, like the film, the old film. Yes. Okay. Because I didn't make that connection until Black Phone opens with like grainy footage mm-hmm. from the seventies. Like you're not watching film, but like that's the way in which it's shot. And then it kind of clicked for me, like oh, okay, Sinister with the grainy. So it's, that must be one of his things. I don't know if he's done it outside of Sinister and Black Phone, but he clearly has done it in both those where he likes the uh, the vibe that a vintage film feel will give you. Yeah, and I mean, truly, those are the creepiest parts of the movie. You go to Sinister 2, which essentially has the same, you know, characters, and they relied, they went away from creepy and went mainly jump scare, Mm -hmm. which is funny because the the best parts about the first Sinister is the creepiness of you are just sitting there being, it's not jump scare so much that you just, it's creepy, you don't want to see this and close your eyes but you still see it you know type of thing and it's it, it's creepy which transition to black phone i feel like it's less creepy and more tried to lay rely on jump scares yeah i would agree with that there was only a couple of parts where i thought you know the creep factor came in and we can talk about those in the spoiler free i think they were shot really well but generally speaking yeah i think it went for like you know the good old you know you're you you're, you're honing in on a character and the camera snaps to the right real quick and there's something there with a loud noise kind of mechanism and yeah, yeah. that only gets you so far but the, it had it had a little bit of um, creepiness to it in certain areas I don't think they played into Ethan Hawke enough for the creepiness uh, he's there but he's off screen a lot like his threat is looming outside of the basement and I think it would have help the movie to have more of him in it well he's clearly the talent um and he's the most interesting part of the movie for sure but i i agree but also disagree um at the same time which is going to be awesome for this statement but so (laughs) when you have a villain um that kind of leaves you wanting those tend to be the best villains and then like the sequel they try to over explain and just ruin yeah. the villain and so it's it's that balance of giving you just enough you yeah. know but you want more but i don't want to hear oh this is the reason why 
you know, uh, right. Everything. And then it's just now, now I'm not scared of this guy anymore. Yeah. You know? And so there's, yes, I wanted to see him more screen time. Um, but I don't need too much explanation of oh, for sure. what he's doing. Cause then you, you ruin, you ruin it all. Yeah, I completely agree. I and I think my desire to have more Ethan Hawke really just stems from those are the only moments of truly I felt like pure terror in the movie was when you know you the, the boy Finney was trying to figure out how to navigate around Ethan Hawke or figure out what Ethan Hawke was going to do next. So I felt like without Ethan Hawke's presence, sometimes it just sort of felt escape roomish like you said which fine it can be scary or whatever and you know there's obviously a phone ringing talking to dead kids and everything but i just felt like the way the movie was filmed when ethan hawk wasn't there there wasn't much dread it was more of okay i'm i'm locked in this situation how do i get out like a cube or a you know something like that which is fine it can provide its own level of suspense but um if they could have found other ways to bring in a little bit more terror and a little bit more of that feeling of dread without Ethan Hawke, I would have loved, that would have been fine too, but that seemed to be their only mechanism. So that's why I'm saying like, give me some more, not, not more about who he is or what he has done. Just more of him antagonizing the kid, I think is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And I have a, a quite a bit on, I think on that in the, the spoiler filled part, but no, I, I agree. He, uh, he was, like I said before, he's definitely the best part of the movie. Um, and that's why you would go see the movie is is him. Yeah, but I think you're absolutely right. And they could have used him in a better way to make the whole to make you not relax. Right. You know? And I feel like there was lots of points in the movie where you were relaxed. And a great horror movie keeps you always on your toes. And yeah. so where you you feel like you're just then they they people say edge of your seat, but that's really what kind of what you are is is you're just tense the whole time, and and there was there was a lot of downtime from that feeling in this movie. Yeah, I think I appreciated what they did with the sister, but every time you cut to the sister, all the tension is gone. Um, and so I, I see your point about not staying on the edge of your seat because you the sister is helping move the the story along. Don't get me wrong. She's not useless. She's not pointless. She has value to the story. Um, but I feel like they, it's a momentum shifter. If I could pick on uh, star Wars and Obi-Wan's fresh in my mind right now, it's sort of like they, I think they have a written rule in star Wars where if there's a lightsaber fight, you must cut away at some point to something else. And I don't understand it. And it's like, why, why are you taking away from the best thing that you've got going on right now? And it's kind of the same with this. It was like, you know, you might be in a pretty intense situation and then you're going to cut over to Finney's sister for a little while. And I get it, but I also, you have to realize what that does to the tension you've built up in the movie. And I, I know not everything can stay dialed at a 10 for a whole movie. Like there's, there's really hardly few movies that ever do that, but you have to realize the shift when that happens. And, and on the, the lightsaber fight, I, I agree. I feel like that should be filmmaking 101 of you've built up this, this thing and you finally get there and you cut away to something that's not as interesting. Mm-hmm. And, I do understand you don't want to straight. I, we we would, uh, but some people wouldn't want to straight 
five-minute lightsaber fight, <laughs> but they feel like they could have a five-minute lightsaber fight if they broke it up over, you know, with other scenes in between. Yeah. But I feel like uh, a final fight between Rey and Kylo or, you know, however you're doing it, you want, you, that's what you're there for. Right. You know, you want to see that confrontation of Vader and Obi-Wan. And you're right. That's, keep us here. Keep mm-hmm. us on that, like, quick cutting away to other ancillary things. Because undoubtedly, there's going to be ones that you prefer over another one and I, I get they're trying to say that there's these things are happening in at the same time and they try to get to one epic conclusion but it does pull you out of that scene that they've done so much to bring you into yeah yep um you know speaking of expectations and 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 build up and all that one of the things i need you to keep me in check here one of the things that i have grown irritated with in movies is and I'm going to use Black Phone as, as an example. There's no hiding the fact that of what this movie is about. They're, they they put it in the trailer. It's in the synopsis. It's you know front and center, right? A kid's getting kidnapped, getting put in a basement with a phone. In that phone, he can talk to dead people. Like that. That's not hidden. That's not spoilers. That's what it is. So why then do you spend? I don't know what felt like twenty or thirty minutes getting to the point where the kid is in the basement and getting the phone calls from the dead people. And I understand that movies need to set things up. If I was to pick on black phone for a second, I would say the things that it sets up aren't overly necessary for the crux of the story. There's a little bit there, but I just get really frustrated. I don't know if it's my impatience or if this is just a general thing that's going on when certain movies where you know the point, you just want them to get to it, take forever to get to it. Because I, I, I get, I start to get annoyed. I'm like, okay, come on. Like, I know you're showing me the character and you're trying to give me a little bit, but we're 30 minutes into this thing and the core of the movie is locked in the basement with a phone with dead kids and we're not even there yet. And so I start to get fidgety. So like, do you feel any of that? Or is that just me? I don't know if it's the amount of movies I've seen. Like, let's just cut to the chase and go. So, no, I, I agree with you in this particular movie. Um, but is that trailer guy's fault of uh, revealing too much of what we're going into? Because they, they do spend a um, significant amount of time with backstory that you think is going to play into something later. Um, and it doesn't necessarily at all. Uh, when the crux of the movie is Ethan Hawke taking kids, mm-hmm. you know, and in that relationship, you right. know, and so that's where you want the beginning of the movie to be um, not. And again, I don't know how long it took us to get there, but it, it felt like it took us a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. So I, I agree, but is it trailer guy's fault? Is it synopsis person's fault of maybe if I sat down cold and have nothing to, I don't know what this movie is about, that I'm just following along for the ride. But right. if I'm waiting for this, I mean, it's called the black phone. So they know what they're trying to, <laughs> trying to get us to, and that is right. the, the crux of the movie. Um, but if we didn't know that going in, would we have felt that? So that, that's no. kind of what I'm... That's fair. And I, I'm not necessarily criticizing Derrickson for this or the writing. I think I'm just critiquing the entire movie-making process. So yes, I would throw everything... I would critique myself and say if I didn't want to know, I could have avoided the trailers and the synopsis, potentially. So yeah, it all goes into it because you set a certain expectation. Uh, and I know it's not to say that the first 20 or 30 minutes are entirely pointless. There's character set up. There's, there's an arc that Finney has that they're trying to close at the end of all this. And you need the beginning of it to get that. Um, 
I just thought maybe it's a little long in the tooth in the beginning to get to that point. Um, maybe you could have cut it in half. So instead of feeling like I'm waiting 20 to 30 minutes to get to it, I think you probably could have gotten there in 10 or 15 minutes. And that's not the end of the world when you're talking an hour 45 runtime, but you know, yeah, it's a significant chunk of time that you're, you're wanting to go ahead and move forward there. Especially if it's billed as a horror suspense movie, you want to get to the horror and suspense part of it. Right. You know, so if I, if I'm thinking it's just a drama that gets creepy, then I'm willing to spend more backstory, but if I'm right. going into a waiting for the scares and waiting for the suspense and you don't get there till half the movie's over, you know, it, it does leave you wanting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not fully crazy on that one. Not fully, uh, probably partially, but then again, I've seen, you know, just as many movies yeah. as you. So I don't know if I'm a fair barometer of, of that sure. question. Um, <laughs> but similar to, we saw the trailer for Nope at the the set i guess this is the second trailer for nope before mm-hmm. this movie and trailer one left us with okay it has something to do with aliens and jordan peele and i feel like that's enough to get people in the theaters and then this one just totally gives in my mind you know three-fourths of the movie's plot mm-hmm. you know so you could always follow it through and so now it's like i I'll be watching it going, I kind of know this part. I kind of know this part. You know, yeah. it, it gets me. And so I'm really only revealing the last fourth of the movie. And that's disappointing. I didn't want to see that. Right. And that's, that's maybe they got feedback of people don't know what this is. You got to give more. <laughs> and so you got to get a bigger trailer. Right. But I think that was a giant mistake. Yep. I mean, we, we've, we've beaten trailer guy to death on this podcast. And I think I can do a good job of avoiding that stuff on social media and in my own personal life. But the one thing that's so hard to avoid is when, when you see movies at the clip we do, you're, you know, you're sitting there and the movies are there. Now, could I step out and tell my family like, Hey, text me when trailers are over and I'll come back in. <laughs> I could, but like, then I feel like I'm a social weirdo. Um, yeah. When but, there's nine minutes of Nicole Kidman or BNB <laughs> commercials, like, I think you actually could have time, you know, for that after the, the coming yeah. attractions. Yeah. Um, so I think overall with Black Phone, uh, d- despite I think me having some some more critiques here than positives, uh, let me dive into the positives. I thought Ethan Hawke was great. I thought the style was great. I, I mean, I shouldn't say Ethan Hawke was great. Um, I like what he did, but that could have been anybody, to be perfectly honest. So I, I think what I'm saying is Ethan Hawke did a fine job of that character. I think the writing around that character was good. I thought, surprisingly, all the kids' acting was really good. Um you know, I I wish it would have been a little bit more more scary, more intense. Keep that that flow going um, instead of a little bit of the up and down. But it by all means, it was not you know remotely a bad movie. Um, so I think overall, I enjoyed it. I think I was three three and a half. I think I was maybe a three and a half um, on it. I'd have to go back and, and check what my initial reaction was, but I'm somewhere in that. So for a horror movie, I thought I thought it was good. I thought it it. I, like I said, I was on the downslide of expectations going into it, and the, and the movie kind of pulled me back up. So, despite some of my critiques, I think it was a, 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 a solid, solid horror movie. So, as far as horror movies go, I'm I'm a little bit further. I mean, they're generally the category are bad movies. Um, mm-hmm. So, there there's that. But I didn't feel like there was a strong horror presence other than the creepiness of um, of his character. And so there's a few jump scares, but there was no, again, like we talked about earlier, I don't feel like there was a lot of dread that made the audience feel of what's going on. 
um, we didn't see a lot of what potentially could have been scary uh, previous to, to Finn going down there. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that that could have added to the horror elements. I mean, we got pieces of it. I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like this is an overly horror movie. I feel like there was two jump scares. Um, and then the rest was kind of a, a figure it out type of thing. Yeah. And, and it's more thriller a, suspense than yeah, horror. More, yeah. And so I, I have a hard time putting it in the horror category, mm-hmm. but you do have a creepy character. So I, I liked what they, what they had written and kind of the, um, how they set it up. Uh, I did have a question for you. Uh, oh, my rating. Uh, I'm at a three. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, thought it was good. I think there's a couple takeaways that, uh, that I will from this. Um, but overall, I don't think it's a, it's a lasting horror movie. No. Uh, in, in the pantheon of horror movies, but, uh, but that was a good watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to ask you, do you think it being based in a time period? So this one is what? Seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that takes you out of it a little bit of, and what I mean from that is it takes the, this could happen to me out of it. If it's based in a different time than what, what you're around now. Uh, no, I don't really think of it that way. Um, I mean, I think, I think any of that could just as easily happen today. Um, I think the seventies setting it back then just kind of gives it a different vibe. You can kind of throw in the vintage stuff. I also think it takes a lot of, um, uh, it takes a lot of variables out of the equation, right? Like it takes cell phones and internet and GPS sure. and all that stuff. It just it just takes it completely out of the equation. It makes it easier for the the writer for sure. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you don't uh, have do to do it and all that. Exactly, exactly. The kid, and, the kid even knows that that's a phone on the wall. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's there's a little bit to it of like I think that that time period feels more innocent than like the current time period where kids are taught stranger danger and, you know, not out past, you know, street lights and everything where I think you said it back then, you know, kids riding their bikes all around the town, like no big deal. Right. Nobody, nobody thought twice. So I I think it doesn't take me out of it necessarily. I think, I think it's just as likely that stuff like that could happen today. So that, that time period doesn't really do anything to me other than just kind of give it that, that vintage feel and that, you know, going back to time of innocence where, you know, things like that could happen a little bit more easily than they could today. And I don't know if it's cause I was coming off a trailer for, and I have no idea what the movie was called. Um, it, I can kind of see it and maybe you'll tell me. Um, but there was a movie that there's a trailer right before this one and right after Nope that showed a woman going to an Airbnb and then horror comes from that of there's somebody also in her Airbnb that was already rented. And immediately uh, my wife turns to me and goes, we're done with Airbnbs. You know, because <laughs> it, it, it put her in that situation uh, immediately of something that uh, we experience. And so, right. uh, and then it goes, Oh, in the seventies, it's like, okay, well, seventies are a long time ago. And this, right. Know, yes. People, kids still get abducted but but i feel like when you have a situation like that of this happens right now of we go to airbnb oh the keys are in the on the on the porch and oh the key's not there but somebody's inside and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden horror ensues yeah it, (laughs) it, it it makes it scarier of we were just in that situation or the next time i'm in that situation i'm gonna think about this movie you know 
I feel like that adds to it a little bit when you, if you put it in the seventies or even like the 1800s, I feel like it takes a little bit out of it of this could happen to me in the back. I, I guess I feel like with this movie though, it was so stripped down to its elements that those all still exist today. A black van could roll up, snag you and throw you in a basement. Like that's the crux of what we're dealing with. That, True. that, that terror doesn't change from 78 to, you know, 2022. That, that's, one of those things that's always going to be there. So I, I, I don't think at its core, this one would do anything to take me out of it. Whereas, you know, it, I, I think you could like some of the ones where they like unfriended, where they're all on the social media or zoom calls, watching stuff. It's like, sometimes they almost go too far the other way where you're like, oh, okay, I agree. come on. So yeah, no, I think, I think it held up. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's go to spoilers. All right, let's do it. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. All right, let's get into some spoilers here. Let's do it. So, while I liked the sister and his relationship with the sister at the beginning of the movie and how she was essentially tough... You know, she was Mm -hmm. tougher than him and almost like something that he aspired to be in that relationship. I liked that. I disliked her dreams because it had nothing to do with the movie. I disliked her. um, Her mom also had dreams, you know, of this and the suicide and and all of that. There was nothing that brought it to the end other than there was police outside after it was already done. So it didn't add anything to the movie. It just added more questions of why does she have these dreams and how does it tie to dead kids in a on a phone? So I, I think I have an answer for that. Okay. I'd love to hear it. I think what's going on is that Finney has it too. He just doesn't know. And that's why he can hear the phone ring and nobody else can. And I know they said Ethan Hawke could hear it too, but I think what they're alluding to is that the mom and the daughter had a gift and Finney has it too. So that's why he was able to hear the phone ring and talk to the dead people. See, I think that that's all lost. Uh, I think it's a, uh, and even your explanation, I, I, I don't even like that um, because I don't, they mentioned that Ethan Hawke can hear the phone too. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was paid off enough. Uh, I get at the end when he was getting killed, they said, you know, he, he talked to him, you know, through that. But I felt like that relationship as he's getting phone calls, you know, they said that Ethan Hawke feels like he's going crazy and nobody else can hear the phone uh, to use his advantage throughout I, I, that dynamic. I thought it was really interesting that he can hear the phone too, but then they didn't really use it. Yeah. I, I don't know why they dropped the Ethan Hawke bit in there, but I think they're, I think they were alluding to only certain people can hear it, and I don't, I don't know why they didn't pay off the Ethan Hawke thing, but it, I'm probably using a little bit of background information because it feels like so this was a short story written by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son, and Stephen King has many characters in many books who have the shine which mm-hmm. is, you know, being able to talk to dead people and see things. So I I think that's an undercurrent there. I think the mom's dreams, the sister's dreams, 
And I think you can take the leap that Finney has that too, even though he doesn't know. And that's why he can hear the phone ring and that's why he can talk to dead people. Um, so that's why I think the sister's arc makes a little bit more sense because it implies that Finney has it too. So make it a part of the plot. She didn't do anything, you know, make it part of the, the police raid something because of it. I mean, right. it, she had no bearing on the movie. Um, or if she just, if she made it to the house, you know, without the police and then hilarity ensued, I, I don't know. It, uh, mm-hmm. the make it have value. Her whole thing had no value to the movie of yeah. her, her dreams other than her dad thought she was crazy. Which... Yeah. I mean, I, I get what they were trying to do. It was to have two parallel paths of moving forward. Like you got Finney trying to get out of the room and you've got people trying to find Finney. And obviously the sister was a good character and the sister's using her dreams to try and find him. So I, I think it was their attempt to keep the intensity going while also getting out of the basement with Finney. And I, I don't think it kept up, like we mentioned in the first part of the of the episode, that I don't think it quite kept up. And I think they were trying to get a little cute with a little switcheroo at the end. Um, yeah. But it didn't... I don't think it quite played out in the way that they thought it would. Um I mean, it was fine that the fact that they go to the house and it's it's at a different house, but it was just happened to be the one across the street. That that's all fine and good, but it's not like this big. Oh man, you really got me! Like you really, you know, pulled the rug out from underneath me. It was just more of like a yeah, okay, fine. It's uh, okay. The cops aren't going to save him from this. He's going to have to save himself, right? You know, I mean, but at that point, I don't even remember the order of events. I feel like he had already saved himself. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, I think it was happening at the same time. Like they're yeah. raiding that other house as he's saving himself. So, yeah, I, I I agree. I wouldn't say the sister was entirely full of worth, but I don't think she was worth less. If that makes sense, uh, I feel like she was worth less, um, or at least her powers. I feel like it would have been so much better had she made it to the house herself, um, and then be tied into the whole uh, Ethan Hawk and. Uh, even them getting beaten with the dad, I thought mm-hmm. they were going to have that. Cause even the, the ghost on the phone mentioned, you know, you always get up, you know, you get beat. Uh, you're to, you're almost used to this, you know, of, mm-hmm. of what he's going to do to you. Like you're in a unique position of you've been beaten your whole life, you know, like, like somehow turn that into a strength, you know, for, for him and his sister, of uh, they've been through this same stuff that Ethan has, um, and somehow flip it on him. Like I, I, that's, that's kind of what I was trying to do of his game was they're going to get punished for being a naughty boy and being hit with a belt. And we just saw her get beat with a belt, you know, and presumably he does all the time. Also, uh, I I thought there was going to be some correlation there that, that tied that all together of, you know, some sort of serendipity of we've built you this strong, Right. Yeah. No, not not to say that they'd leave you the message of, you know, if you beat your kids, they'll be stronger to <laughs> <laughs> to, to get out of a serial right. killer situation. But I thought that'd be at least something that they were that they alluded to. Um, that's what the the last boy was was telling them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. I mean, I think that last boy closes that that arc that they spent twenty minutes in the beginning setting up, which I didn't think needed that long. Yeah. Well, it's, so he didn't. He didn't know three of the kids, right? And two um, of the, he knew of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he knew he had met the the kid who hit a homer off him. 
mm-hmm. but he didn't really know him. Uh, and so spending all that time developing the backstory uh, was almost wasted because he didn't, they didn't really introduce those kids. And, and right. I know they were trying to make those kids a character, mm-hmm. um, the dead kids, but it, like I said, I think that took too much time yeah. to not get into it. Mm-hmm. Would you have liked it if those are more flashbacks of getting to know those characters than, than putting it all at the beginning? I don't know, because then you run the risk of doing exactly what we said earlier, too, which is like you keep cutting away from something to have a flashback or something like that. And, yeah. and I mean, they kind of did both, right? Like they, the the kid who looked like a 70s rocker and played pinball, like that was like all done in a flashback. Story, yeah. yeah, so like they kind of did a little bit of both. Um so I guess I guess the one thing I will say is I'm glad they didn't do all of one versus the other, right? Like, given what they were trying to do, I can see why they split it up and did some in the beginning and some as a flashback. So I think if you go all beginning, it's too long. If you go all flashback, you're kind of pulled out of it, I think. So it's probably the best they could do given what they had. But I think that uh, – I still think the first 20 to 30 could be chopped down a little bit. So I'm giving the flashback a pass because essentially that was the girl's dream. Mm-hmm. And so that's how she found it. And I'm like, okay, they're gonna tie her into the end somehow. And so I, was, I, I generally don't enjoy flashbacks in movies. So I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's poor uh, storytelling. You can either put it at the beginning, you know, or uh, do another way of doing it, opposed to just cutting and saying, oh, by the way, this is what happened earlier. So now you understand the rest. Like I, right. I don't I don't enjoy that. I think I would have, and I haven't quite made my mind up because I'm just now coming up with this, but I think I would have rather have seen what Ethan Hawke did to one of the earlier kids at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. uh, that we know. So we kind of see the process of what, what they were going through to have that embedded fear for, for Finn mm-hmm. uh, of he tried to get out. And I don't know if he could hear, if all the kids could hear the phone or, uh, oh, and then there's that, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping here. But then there was that really creepy part where the rocker kid gets sucked away. And, <laughs> yeah. and what what was that about? Like something stealing them from this limbo that they're in? Like I, I I'd like know. to know I, what yeah. what happened in that. As I was like, that's really creepy and interesting. Does that have something to do with Ethan Hawke? Like, like I I don't know. Is he somehow pulling the kids' yeah. souls or something? Like I don't know what's happening here. I just interpreted all that stuff as. It, no different than like the creepy girl hanging upside down in the corner, or you know, the I I just chalked all that up to stupid jump scares, right? Just just trying to get a reaction out of people. Sure, I mean, I I accepted the fact that they were all quote unquote stuck living in that room, mm-hmm. but when you yank him out like that, like he's being sucked down in the movie Ghost by <laughs> you know those those demon creatures, I kind of want to know what that's about, right? Yeah, I, I I don't think they intended on making that anything other than just a superficial scare. I think that was it. Well, that's all it ended up being. Right. Because then he was back in the street with the girl and scaring her. Right. Um, so it's not like he got sucked down to hell yeah. or whatever that they were doing. I mean, I guess I'm I'm a little okay with how they did the, the Naughty Boy stuff and not like having not having showed it because it's sometimes I think what is alluded to and what they're trying to put in your head can be far creepier than if they had already shown it. Right. Like you're like, Oh my God, what is not, what exactly is naughty boy? Like what does that actually mean? And what happens if you, you know, make him mad twice? Like instead of seeing it, you're kind of left to your own devices to 
plug in there with like, okay, what, what is this really? So I, I'm okay with them not having shown any of that and just leaving that to, you know, the audience. Well, I'm okay with that. Uh, I agree. Uh, but if you still have, say one of the other kids in the room, uh, you can even have Ethan Hawke saying you've been a naughty boy in the door slam or something mm-hmm. and not actually show what happens. Just it's something's happening. What's happening. I don't know, but you, you have that instilled drag because really through most of the time in the basement, you don't know Ethan Hawke's motives at all. Right. You don't know what he's going to do because he's talking to him. He's feeding him. I'm not allowed to, mm-hmm. to do these things. And so is he the big bad or is he working for somebody? You, you don't know that, but if you see it, and I don't think that adds anything to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think it kind of takes away from his creepiness where if you showed a, a hint of it earlier of, yeah, he's, he's going to do something, then that adds to your dread for Finn. Yeah, I could see that. I just, I never wandered down the path of it not being him or anything like that. So I was, I just assumed what they were telling me was true and that he's the dread. So I, that was fine for me. I mean, clearly he, it was him, but right. what, but what was going on in his brain like that? Yeah, I kind of I kind of like the ambiguity there of not really knowing much about this character other than he just seems to be completely off his rocker. Um, you know, why does he wear the mask? No idea. Why did he freak out when the mask was taken off? No idea. Um, but it's it's sometimes scarier with that stuff unknown. I think that that all worked for me on this one. I mean, did you get? Go ahead. I was just going to say, the, scary, the scariest parts of the movie to me were, you know, he's just sitting there in a mask with his shirt off at the top of the stairs with a belt in his hand. Like, you don't right. know what exactly happens with that belt or what exactly happens if he gets caught. Like, is he going to kill him instantly or is he just going to put him back in the room and keep playing this game or what? But that's where I think all of that unknown and unexplained stuff just makes you a little bit more uneasy when things are going down. She's like, I really don't know what's going to happen here. Right. Like if he gets caught this one time, does he, how many more times does he have? Or is this it? Like, you know, it's so that, that unknown, I think works to an advantage. Sometimes I think in this movie it did. And they kept playing how Finn was a smart kid and using his background. And they kept giving him hints of we're only going to play naughty boy. If he breaks the rules and you're, and he's mad that you're not playing the game. And, I don't feel like they explored that at all of Finn not playing his game, you know, of using those hints from the other boys and that they did of, Hey, don't go up there. You're going to get caught and he's going to beat you the belt. Okay. That's, you know, that's something, but not more psychological with, with this guy who's trying to do this for a reason to relive, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever Uh, they like hinted at, this is all going to happen, but nothing came from that. Um, he essentially broke the rules by trying to escape and nothing came from that. And then we just had the end, you know? Yeah. And so I, I felt like there, there was some sort of psychological back and forth they could have had with where sort of like with the paper and the name of, mm-hmm. you know, he's tricking him into, into lying essentially. Um, but Finn not letting him win, you know, so he, he couldn't get hurt. You know, it's yeah. sort of some of that stuff. And I don't think they explored that as much as they could have. Sure. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think um, my only, really my only big complaint of the movie is um, the fact that there's no way Finney could have got that rope up that carpet thing and through the window. <laughs> like if it had been a cable that was stiff or something was like it, that. Wasn't it a cable? 
I don't know, man. It looked like a rope because otherwise, how would you how would you get to loop through the window and come back? Like if it's a cable, if it's sturdy, if it's sturdy <laughs> enough to go up the the carpet roll and into the window, it's going to be too sturdy to naturally wrap itself back around. So, I mean, I'm not one to nitpick movies, but that was one where I kind of just like shrugged in the movie. I was like, that that's not working. Like, there's zero chance that works. Well, two things. One, yes, you are one to nitpick movies. That's what we do here. That's why we <laughs> we have a podcast. Uh, but but two, I I agree 100. percent The and then when it rolled rolled around, yeah. Know, the, at first, I thought he was just gonna climb up the carpet and then yeah. use the rope up there. I was like, that makes sense. And then yes. his little feeding it through, I was like, I don't understand. And then yeah, <laughs> moving it around like okay. yeah. I mean, would it have been that hard to make it a wire and then have him like shimmy up the carpet and then pull the wire back down like. A rope yeah. is not going to do that. So I'm I, glad that nothing else in the movie got to be that dumb. And, I, and truthfully, I I didn't even see it coming that all of his failed attempts to get out would actually lead him to the way to get out. Like, I, I don't know why I didn't think that. But, like, the fact that the hole in the ground was where he was going to trap Ethan, the fact yeah. that he had the stake to get the dog, you know, there's he broke his ankle on the grate that came from the window, like... That was pretty cool how in the end he didn't get out in the way that I thought he would and that all the failed attempts got him out. That was I thought that was awesome. Yeah, uh I kind of picked up on that. Um, especially when the dog got brought down. I was like, okay, that that's the food. And then mm-hmm. when he was digging the hole, I'm like, he's gonna then he laid the carpet over, I'm like, someone's gonna fall in the hole. Um, and I don't know how deep this hole's gonna be. And that that's kind of what my uh I was like, I'm gonna be watching for this. But my Yes, I had kind of issues with the carpet, and I was like, I've never tried that, so maybe it would work. So mm-hmm. that's, but I've had the top of a porcelain uh, toilet and to hammer out a wall, and then you're gonna you're gonna break the hell out of that, you know, before <laughs> yeah. you get through through the wall. And so that's uh, that's that was more my my leap of faith of that's what he's using to to, to tear down that that uh, that wall there. Yeah, but but no, I I. I liked the idea of all of that. Of mm-hmm. All these kids tried to get out, and it, it needed the combination of them for him to do that. Yeah. So that I did. I did like that piece. But yeah. But I wish his sister was there because that would have made more sense. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it did leave me wanting a little bit because I did love the character and kind of the setup of what they did. So overall, I think it was still a win, but. Uh, I think there's a lot of missing pieces there that could have made this a really good standing movie. Yeah, it, it was missing a little something for sure. But overall, like we said, pretty solid. What did you think of his brother? I don't know. I, I don't know that that was overly necessary. I mean, if we're talking about whether the sister is necessary or not, I don't. That added nothing to me. I mean, it, just it gave him somebody to kill. Like, there's no reason why that that character needed to be there. Or were it all you wondering if the brother was somehow involved? Because Finn's face kind of got relieved when he saw it was somebody else. And then yeah. like, well, he's going to be part of it, you know, because right. why wouldn't he live upstairs? I know. Yeah, well, and, and the, the layout of the house doesn't quite make sense. Because, if I mean, is his brother just sleeping while Ethan Hawke's sitting upstairs in the top of the stairs? So what I couldn't get is, does his brother live across the street? I no, because he said his bro- he said his brother was in from out of town. He's he's like my. But what, he's like, was, he, but from- was he staying across the street? So I didn't I didn't pay that as like were the kids buried in the one that his house was or 
did he come across? But yeah, it didn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, well, that was... that would have to be it, right? Because like the brother would wouldn't the brother wonder if like why is there a padlock on our front door, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so I mean, maybe you're right. So the the padlock was on the door where Finney is at. But see, but the dog was at when the cops That's came to the true. door to talk to the brother. The dog was there, so I don't know. There's some things there. That wow. I think if we looked at it a little bit, it, it kind of is doesn't add up. And I actually even wondered the first time that they showed their brother and they did the the camera going down in the transition to the basement where Finney was. I even wondered, I was like, it, is that the same house or was that just a really poor transition on somebody's part that they thought was cute, but they're misleading me and well, they know it ended up being right. At- at first, I thought it was uh, just a director's film thing, mm-hmm. but then but they showed like the subfloor and the pipes yeah. and whatnot. So then, okay, you're led to believe that it is that house right. and is below him. So I guess guess you're right, but that it doesn't make the rest of it add up. Yeah, no, I there, there's some weirdness. Like because my wife was like, um, if Ethan, if his brother's there and Ethan Hawke's just sitting in a mask at the top of the stairs in the kitchen. Like that, that's a little hard to believe. The brother would never encounter that. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. They didn't quite. Unless say that. you're just saying the cocaine, <laughs> right? You yeah. know, it's like Junk is he wearing a mask or is it the coke that I've been snorting? Right. I yeah. Don't know. So that and the fact that his brother was trying to figure it all out, like yeah. all of that was was just weird. Like yeah. his character was, done was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, is that it for the Black Phone? I think so. All right, so what do we got next? We got Thor, Love, and Thunder here in the next week or so? Thor, yes. All right. That's, well, that's, that's, that's fingers crossed. I feel like that <laughs> saves the MCU. I'm hoping so. I'm really looking forward to it. I like the style, I like the character, so I am, I am all in on hoping that that movie's good. I feel like we're going to see a bunch of new Pantheon gods get introduced and a bunch of new Pantheon gods get murdered. Okay. And so that's uh you can't have a god butcher and not right. have him butcher gods. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think uh I think this is gonna be good. Um I know it's it's gonna be funny. Uh I mean we've seen the trailer, so we know mm-hmm. his his comedy's there. But how how dark is he gonna make the uh the god butcher? Because he looks pretty creepy and people are praising Christian Bale. So Yep. As, as one of the best uh, MCU villains, so expectations are probably too high. <laughs> probably. That, that's probably pretty safe. All right. Where can they find you on Twitter, Carson? At Carson Graff, G-R-A-F-F. You can find me at, at Two Views Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Two Views Movies, or you can email us at twoviewsmovies at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via Apple, Google, Spotify, basically everywhere you listen, we are there. And like we just mentioned, we'll be back next episode with uh, Thor Love and Thunder. We'll catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? <laughs> <laughs>